Well, good morning. Good evening. Good evening's better than good morning, huh? Although I love morning. Yeah. A little cloudy, though. Cloudy. Yeah. Cloudy to me, both. Partly cloudy. Do you ever hear that radio when it simulates a voice? Elsie does it really good. Partly cloudy. How does it do it? Oh, yeah. The things we learn, huh? Joy, take these and then I'll ask you to pass them out in a while. We're in um, Daniel 2. And, huh? Yeah, 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 yeah. 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 I've got some really great printouts for Friday night, too. Yeah, they. Yeah. And I printed Charlie Campbell's timeline. It doesn't have all the detail I have, but you'll enjoy it immensely because it, you can see it. I mean, that helps to be able to see it. Well, anyway, we're in uh, Daniel 2 tonight. 49 verses. I don't think we'll make it all, but we'll try. Okay? So uh, let's pray, and then I'll read the chapter. Father God, we praise you. We thank you for your presence here. We we ask that you teach through me. And, and Father, just open our eyes and ears and hearts to understand and comprehend. And we pray for your blessings tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So I'm going to read... uh, the 49 verses, <clears throat> because it's going to help you put it in perspective, I think, okay? Now, in the second year of Nebuchadnezzar's reign, Nebuchadnezzar had dreams, and his spirit was so troubled that his sleep left him. What would we say? He couldn't sleep? Yeah. Somni, there you go. Then the king gave the command to call the magicians, the astrologers, the sorcerers, and the Chaldeans to tell the king his dreams. So they came and stood before the king. And the king said to them, I've had a dream and my spirit is anxious to know the dream. Then the Chaldeans spoke to the king in Aramaic. O king, live forever. That was a good thing to say to a king. He'd probably like to hear that. O king, live forever. Tell your servants the dream and we will give the interpretation. These guys are about to get busted, right? You know the story. Then the Chaldeans spoke to the king in I did that. Uh, The king answered and said to the Chaldeans, My decision is firm. If you do not make known the dream to me, the dream I had, and its interpretation, you shall be cut in pieces, and your houses shall be made an ash heap. And he meant what he said. Believe me, this wasn't an idle threat. However, if you tell the dream and its interpretation, you shall receive from me gifts, rewards, and great honor. Therefore, Tell me the dream and its interpretation. They answered again and said, Let the king tell his servants the dream and we will give its interpretation. The king answered and said, I know for certain that you would gain time because you see that my decision is firm. If you do not make known the dream to me, there is only one decree for you, for you have agreed to speak lying and corrupt words before me till the time has changed. 
He was on to him. Therefore, tell me the dream, and I shall know that you can give me its interpretation. The Chaldeans answered the king and said, There's not a man on earth who can tell the king's matter. Therefore, no king, lord, or ruler has ever asked such things of any magician, astrologer, or Chaldean. Then it's a difficult thing that the king requests, and there's no other who can tell it to the king except the gods, small g, plural, whose dwelling is not with flesh. For this reason, the king was angry and very furious and gave the command to destroy all the wise men of Babylon. This guy had a short fuse, but when he said kill him, they started doing it immediately, trust me. So the decree went out, and they began killing the wise men. How many? I don't know, but they started killing them. <clears throat> and they sought Daniel and his companions to kill them. Then, with counsel and wisdom, Daniel answered Arioch, the captain of the king's guard, who'd gone out to kill the wise men of Babylon, he answered and said to Arioch, the king's captain, why is the decree from the king so urgent? Then Arioch made the decision known to Daniel. He told him what was going on. Daniel went in and asked the king to give him time that he might tell the king the interpretation. So Daniel was in a position to go before the king. He probably uh, made himself... Uh, uh, made the king aware of him in previous times. We don't know that specifically, but we can assume it, I think. Then Daniel went to his house and made the decision known to Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, his companions, that they might seek mercies from the God of heaven concerning the secret, so that Daniel and his companions might not perish with the rest of the wise men of Babylon. Then the secret was revealed to Daniel in a night vision. So Daniel blessed the God of heaven. Daniel answered and said, Blessed be the name of God forever and ever, for wisdom and might are His. And He changes the times and the seasons. He removes kings and raises up kings. He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to those who have understanding. He reveals deep and secret things. He knows what is in the darkness and light dwells with Him. I thank you and praise you, O God of my fathers. You have given me wisdom and might. You have made known to me what we asked of you, for you have made known to us the king's demand. Therefore Daniel went to Arioch, whom the king had appointed to destroy the wise men of Babylon. So Daniel went to Arioch, right? Whom the king had appointed to destroy the wise men of Babylon. He went and said thus to him, do not destroy the wise men of Babylon. Take me before the king, and I will tell the king the interpretation. That's a relevant point. <clears throat> You'll see in a little bit. Then Ariok quickly brought Daniel before the king and said thus to him, I have found a man of the captives of Judah who will make known to the king the interpretation. Well, that wasn't right, was it? No. Daniel went to him. So he was trying to get everything he could out of this. The king answered and said to Daniel, whose name was Belteshazzar, Are you able to make known to me the dream which I have seen and its interpretation? Daniel answered in the presence of the king and said, The secret which the king has demanded, the wise men, the astrologers, the magicians, and the soothsayers, cannot declare to the king. <coughs> Pardon me. But there's a God in heaven who reveals secrets, and he has made known to King Nebuchadnezzar what will be in the latter days. Your dream... And the visions of your head upon your bed were these. As for you, O king, thoughts came to your mind while on your bed about what would come to pass after this. And he who reveals secrets has made known to you 
what will be. But it's for me, Daniel was a humble man, but for me the secret has not been revealed to me because I have more wisdom than anyone living, like our politicians, but for our sakes who made known the interpretation to the king, and that you may know the thought, thoughts, plural, of your heart. You, O king, were watching, and behold, a great image. This great image, whose splendor was excellent, stood before you, and its form was awesome. This image head was of fine gold, its chest and arms of silver, its belly and thigh of bronze, its legs of iron, its feet partly of iron and partly of clay. You watched while a stone was cut without hands, which struck the image on its feet of iron and clay and broke them in pieces. Then the iron, the clay, the bronze, the silver, the gold were crushed together and became like shaft from the summer threshing floors. The wind carried them away so that no trace of them was found. And the stone that struck the image became a great mountain and filled the whole earth. This is the dream. Now, we will tell the interpretation of it before the king. You, O king, you, O king, are a king of kings. For the God of heaven has given you a kingdom, power, strength, and glory. And wherever the children of men dwell, or the beasts of the field and the birds of the heaven, he has given them into your hand and has made you ruler over them all. You are this head of gold. So now we know what the head of gold is. <clears throat> represented Nebuchadnezzar and his kingdom. But after you shall arise another kingdom inferior to yours, then another, a third kingdom of bronze, which shall rule over all the earth, and the fourth kingdom shall be as strong as iron, inasmuch as iron breaks in pieces and shatters everything. And like iron that crushes, that kingdom will break in pieces and crush all the others. <clears throat> Whereas you saw the feet and toes, Partly of potter's clay and partly of iron. The kingdom shall be divided, yet the strength of the iron shall be in it, just as you saw the iron mixed with ceramic clay. And as the toes of the feet were partly of iron and partly of clay, so the kingdom shall be partly strong and partly fragile. As you saw iron mixed with ceramic clay, they will mingle with the seed of men, but they will not adhere to one another, just as iron does not mix with clay. And in the days of these kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom which shall never be destroyed, and the kingdom shall not be left to other people. It shall break in pieces and consume all these kingdoms, and it shall stand forever. Inasmuch as you saw that the stone was cut out of the mountain without hands, and that it broke in pieces the iron, the bronze, the clay, the silver, and the gold, the great God has made known to the king what will come to pass after this. The dream is certain and its interpretation is sure. Then King Nebuchadnezzar fell on his face, prostate, uh, trait, I'm sorry, I made that mistake before, (laughs) prostrate, (laughs) before Daniel commanded that they should present an offering and incense to him. The king answered Daniel and said, Truly your God is the God of gods, the Lord of kings, and a revealer of secrets, since you could reveal the secret. You know, Nebuchadnezzar and Daniel had an extraordinary relationship. He trusted implicitly, and then, as you know later, uh, Daniel took care of him when God finally had had enough and sent him out to eat grass and and 
groove with the animals, right? And his fingernails grew about that long and hair long. And, and uh, But Daniel took care of him. So they had quite a relationship. <clears throat> then the king promoted Daniel and gave him many great gifts. And he made him ruler over the whole province of Babylon and chief administrator over all the wise men of Babylon. And it doesn't say, but I imagine they were pretty distraught over that. Also, Daniel petitioned the king as he set Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, his buds' names, because they all had uh, new names, of course, now, over the affairs of the province of Babylon. But Daniel sat in the gate of the king. Whoa. Aramaic names, anyway. Now, let's get into it. Verse 1, now in the second year of Nebuchadnezzar's reign, Nebuchadnezzar had dreams and his spirit was troubled so that his sleep left him. Soon after Nebuchadnezzar's accession to the throne, he was plagued with a recurring dream. Since Daniel recalled and interpreted interpreted only a single dream, 24 through 26, the use of the plural here, dream seems to indicate a recurrence of the same dream. This dream evidently was perceived by Nebuchadnezzar as having great significance, for he was troubled by the dream and so agitated that he was unable to sleep. Two and three. Then the king gave the command to call the magicians, the astrologers, the sorcerers, and the Chaldeans to tell the king his dreams. So they came and stood before the king, and the king said to them, I've had a dream, and my spirit is anxious to know the dream. So the king summoned, called the wise men of his realm, And they profess to be able to foretell the future by one means or another. If the method used by one failed to produce the desired result, hopefully the method employed by another would reveal the dream's significance. They were called collectively to exercise their enchantments in order to give the king an interpretation that would placate him. him. The king challenged the wise men, saying, I want to know what it means. Then the Chaldeans, verse 4, spoke to the king in Aramaic, O king, live forever. Tell your servants the dream and we will give you the interpretation. That's pretty bogus, isn't it? I mean, everybody knows up front, oh, really? Evidently the request to interpret the dream had been made of the wise men on other occasions, for they were not surprised with the words, O king, in verse 4b, the language is Aramaic through chapter 7, verse 28. The wise men confidently asserted that when the king revealed the dream to them, they would interpret it to him any way they wanted to. They were confident that with their collective wisdom, they could satisfy the king with an interpretation. The king answered and said to the Chaldeans, My decision is firm. If you do not make known the dreams to me in this interpretation, you shall be cut in pieces, and your houses shall be made an ash heap. However, if you tell the dream in its interpretation, you shall receive from me gifts, rewards, great honor. Therefore, tell me the dream in its interpretation. Though the king may have made such a demand on the wise men previously and been satisfied with their answers, he evidently had never asked him to interpret a dream that he had discerned had such significance. So he decided to test them. And that's exactly what he's doing here, right? If they could predict the future by interpreting dreams, they should be able to reconstruct the past and recall the king's dream, if they were so good as they pretended like they were. So he refused to share his dream with them. This doesn't mean he'd forgotten it. Had he done so, the wise men to save themselves from death could have easily fabricated a dream and then interpreted it. 
The king reasoned that if they could not recall the past, their predictions concerning the future could not be trusted. The king promised rewards and honors for the wise men's recalling and interpreting the dream, but he put them under a death penalty. They would be cut into pieces and their houses would be burned to rubble if they proved to be a false if they proved to be false prognosticators who could not recall the dream. Seven through nine, they answered again and said, Let the king tell his servants the dream, and we'll give you its interpretation. The king answered and said, I know for certain that you would gain time, because you see that my decision is firm. If you do not make known the dream to me, there's only one decree for you. For you've agreed to speak lying and corrupt words before me till the time has changed. Therefore, tell me the dream, and I shall know that you can give me its interpretation. And he was absolutely rock solid in that. He was right, right? <clears throat> Again, the wise men asked that the king share the dream with them, promising then to interpret it. The king complained that they were stalling for time. He again referred to the penalty imposed for failure to tell the dream. He felt that the only way he could trust their interpretation of the future was by having them first recall his dream. Otherwise, he would conclude that they were conspiring to tell him misleading and wicked things. Also, Nebuchadnezzar may have, been, may have become impatient with the wise men who were presumably older than he as he had inherited them from his father. Another reason for the uh, test may have been that he was suspicious of their claims to wisdom. You think? I do. Oh, yeah. These guys were running around with the stars and the black robe and the hats like Disney. and the Well, they simulate them pretty well in some cases. The Chaldeans answered the king and said, There's not a man on earth who can tell the king's matter. Therefore, no king, lord, or ruler has ever asked such things of any magician, astrologer, or Chaldean. It's a difficult thing that the king requests, and there's no other who can tell it to the king except the gods whose dwelling is not with the flesh. So to defend themselves, the wise men asserted that the king was making an unreasonable request. One never asked by any other potentate or king before. They attested that the future belongs to the gods, not to men. Interestingly, this was an admission they had deceived the king in their past interpretations. Uh, a startling revelation from those held in such high esteem in the court, but I have a sneaking suspicion that Nebuchadnezzar had that figured out a long time ago. 12 and 13, for this reason the king was angry and very furious, and this dude had a temper, <laughs> believe me, and gave the command to destroy all the wise men of Babylon. And that wasn't like after 30 years on death row. That was like in the next 10 minutes. As fast as the guys could run over there with their swords and things. Yeah, yeah. So, um, after the wise men revealed that they were unable to satisfy the king's demand, the king was angry and furious. As I said, he issued an order for the execution of all the wise men of Babylon. Not some, but all. The decree was not only for those currently serving the king's court, but on all who professed to be able to reveal the future. Since Daniel and his three buds were classified as wise men, the judgment also fell on them. 14, 15, 16. <clears throat> then with counsel and wisdom, Daniel answered Arioch, the captain of the king's guard, who had gone out to kill the wise men of Babylon. He answered and said to Arioch, the king's captain, Why is the decree from the king so urgent? 
And Eric made the decision known to Daniel. So Daniel went and asked the king to give him time that he might tell the king the interpretation. Well, what had transpired in the royal court was unknown to Daniel. He didn't know. Perhaps he'd refused to answer the king's summons to avoid contact with the pagan leaders. When word came that he was under a death sentence, he tactfully asked Arioch, the commander of the king's guard, for the reason. Arioch explained the incident that it exposed the wise men's deception of the king. <clears throat> Daniel boldly approached the king with a request that the executions be stayed for a while that he might interpret the king's dream. This took boldness because the king had already accused the wise men of wanting more time. Daniel was evidently held in high esteem by the king because he was permitted access to the king's presence, presence number one, and was able to petition the king directly. Though not recorded, Daniel had possibly interpreted dreams previously, interpreted dreams previously, though not necessarily for the king. So he was sure that God would provide so that he could recall the dream and interpret it. 17:18. Then Daniel went to his house and made the decision known to Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, his companions, that they might seek mercies from the God of heaven concerning this secret, so that Daniel and his companions might not perish for the rest of the wise men of Babylon. In this time of testing, Daniel was calm. I would say he's filled with the Holy Spirit. He returned to his house, sought out his three friends, and together they prayed for mercy from the God of heaven. Yeah. Mercy is God's response to a person's need. Daniel recognized his own inability in the circumstances and turned to God in confidence, expecting the Lord to meet his need. Let's divide uh, 19 into two parts. <clears throat> First part of it is then the secret was revealed to Daniel in a night vision. So in response to the prayer of the four, the, the dream was revealed to Daniel evidently the same night. Now let's do 19b uh, through 23. So Daniel blessed the God of heaven. That's the second part. Daniel answered and said, Blessed be the name of the God forever and ever for wisdom and might are his. And he changes the times and the seasons. He removes kings and raises up kings. He gives wisdom to the wise <clears throat> and knowledge to those who have understanding. He reveals deep and secret things. He knows what is in the darkness, and light dwells with him. Amen. I thank you and praise you, O God, and my fathers. You have given me wisdom and might and have now made known to me what we asked of you. <clears throat> For you have made known to us the king's demand. Daniel responded appropriately by offering praise to God. <clears throat> he acknowledged that God is a God of wisdom, knowing the end from the beginning, and a God of power. For whatever he determines he can do, Daniel began and concluded his prayer speaking of God's wisdom and power. Evidences of his power are seen in his control of events. He changes times and seasons. And of the destiny of nations, he sets up kings and deposes them. Nebuchadnezzar was on the throne because God determines to use him there to fulfill his will. You, you know me very well, most of you. And one of my pet peeves is the learning channel and the educators and or the movies. And whenever it comes to a biblical movie or God or anything he's done, they have to substitute some answer that denies God's deity. I don't care what it is. 
because they don't believe in God, so consequently he doesn't have the power that he has to do anything. Omniscient, omnipresent, everything, you know. So they figured out like the uh, uh, the Ark of the Covenant, and I don't remember his name, but he touched it accidentally with da- uh, David. And uh, when they were, mo- what was his name, Chris? Oh, you, I thought you said it. But anyway, uh, he died. So I've heard the guys on the Learning Channel said, well, there was a primitive battery developed in the Ark of the Covenant, and when they touched the rock at the right time, and the sun was from the north. It created a 12-volt system that they can't stand it. They can't stand that God, there's nothing he can't do. So they, and they do this frequently and in the movies and everything. Parting the Red Sea, uh, he had a, a low tide and, and airboats and everything with her engines at full power. <laughs> they just don't believe in God. But you know God, and you know that you know that you know there's nothing He cannot do. Nothing. I feel better. (laughs) Matter of fact, I better celebrate with the water here. Thank you. Let's see. So I think we're where we'll be. I did through 23, right? I think uh, Nebuchadnezzar was on the throne because God determined to use him there to fulfill his will. And again, that's an extremely interesting story of Nebuchadnezzar from beginning to end, regardless of whether he was capturing this or taking this city or that or Jerusalem or Babylon or whatever he was doing. Fascinating. Evidences of God's wisdom are seen in his imparting wisdom to the wise and his revealing dark uh, or deep and dark things. Light dwells with God in the sense that all things are clear to him through, though people are surrounded by darkness. God knows and can reveal the future. God, not Daniel's insight, gave him the dream and its interpretation. He knew that, he recognized that he was a humble man, and, and I certainly respect that. Daniel's dream of praise closed with thanks that God had revealed the king's dreams to the four who had trusted him. 2425, therefore Daniel went to Arioch, whom the king had appointed to destroy the wise men of Babylon. He went and said thus to him, do not destroy the wise men of Babylon. Take me before the king, and I will tell the king the interpretation. Then then Arioch quickly brought Daniel before the king and said thus to him, I have found a man of the captives of Judah who will make known to the king the interpretation. Receiving from God the knowledge of the dream and its interpretation, Daniel went to Arioch, the king's executioner, and informed him that he was ready to interpret the king's dream. Evidently, the royal court knew of the king's agitation, for Arioch took Daniel at once to the king. Officer Arioch wrongly claimed credit for having found an interpreter for the king's dream. Actually, it was Daniel who went to Arioch, wasn't it? Eric evidently expected to be highly rewarded for finding someone who could alleviate the king's agitation. That's all we know. 26, 27, and 28, the king answered and said to Daniel, whose name was Belteshazzar, Are you able to make known to me the dream which I have seen in its interpretation? Daniel answered in the presence of the king and said, The secret which the king has demanded The wise men, the astrologers, the magicians, and the soothsayers cannot declare to the king. 
But there's a God in heaven who reveals secrets, and he has made known to King Nebuchadnezzar what will be in the latter days. That's what he's telling the king here. Your dreams and the visions of your head upon your bed were these. The king inquired whether Daniel was able to tell him what he had dreamed, and then to interpret it, Daniel was subjected to the same test of his veracity the king had demanded of the wise men. They had previously said that only the gods could reveal the future to man. Now Daniel asserted that what the wise men of Babylon could not do by consorting with their false deities, Daniel was able to do because there is a God, that's capital G, in heaven who reveals mysteries. Daniel took no credit to himself, did he? <clears throat> As for you, O king, thoughts came to your mind while on your bed about what would come to pass after this? And he who reveals secrets has made known to you what will be. But as for me, this secret has not been revealed to me because I have more wisdom than anyone living, but for our sakes who made known the interpretation of the king and that you may know the thoughts of your heart. Daniel asserted at the outset that the king's dream was prophetic. In other words, would take place in the future with respect to things uh, to come and what was going to happen. Nebuchadnezzar's dream covered the prophetic panorama of Gentile history from his time till the forthcoming subjugation of Gentile powers to Israel's Messiah. This period is called the Times of the Gentiles, Luke 21:24. And some of these things still haven't come to fruition. They're coming up in the near future as we go over the end times uh, prophecy. Uh, this dream was given to Nebuchadnezzar, the first of many Gentile rulers who would exert power by divine appointment during the times of the Gentiles. God was not revealing spiritual truth to Nebuchadnezzar, but facts concerning the political dominion that Gentiles would exercise. Everything in the dream would be readily understandable to Nebuchadnezzar, as Daniel explained it. Again, Daniel humbly affirmed that the mystery was not revealed to him because he was smarter than anybody else or more wonderful or, you know, which can happen in the world then and now and, and with flesh. <clears throat> You're seeing it in the politicians now. Incomprehensible. Just pray. That's, that's what you need to do. Just pray. 31. You, O king, were watching and behold a great image. This great image whose splendor was excellent stood before you and its form was awesome. That's the proper use of that word, I might add. This image's head was a fine gold, its chest and arms of silver, its belly and thigh of bronze, its legs of iron, its feet partly of iron and partly of clay. This is interesting to go into the study. It's, it's very interesting, and, and we will as we go on in Daniel. We'll break this down in, in a chapter or so. The king's dream was relatively simple. Daniel reported that the king had seen an enormously large statue, if you will, its size and appearance were awesome. It made the king appear insignificant when he stood before it. The statue was dazzling because of the metals of which it was made. The head of the image was fashioned of pure gold. The chest and arms were of silver. The belly and thighs of bronze. And the legs were iron, were of iron, with its feet partly iron and clay. Baked clay. A casual glance would reveal the various parts of the statue. Then it says in 34 and 35, You watched while a stone was cut without hands. 
which struck the image on its feet of iron and clay and broke them into pieces. So Nebuchadnezzar saw this in the dream, however it was portrayed to him. Then the iron, the clay, the bronze, the silver, and the gold were crushed together and became like shaft. From the summer threshing floors, the wind carried them away so that no trace of them was found, and the stone that struck the image became a great mountain and filled the whole earth. And the stone that struck the image became a great mountain and filled the whole earth. Poor Nebuchadnezzar, I bet he was just baffled as he saw these things, huh? The statue wasn't permanent. It was struck on the feet by a rock. And it wasn't cut by human hands, of course. It was cut by Christ, you know that. Which reduced the whole statue like chaff and was blown away. Chaff was the light, inedible portion of grain stalks which blew away when the broken stalks were window tossed up on the air on the, on the threshing floor. You've heard so much about the threshing floor in Israel in the Old Testament. It talks about it so frequently. So they do it and then throw it up in the air and the, and the chaff would just blow away on a windy summer day. The rock that destroyed the statue grew into a huge mountain that filled the whole earth. The dream itself was simple. It was the meaning of the dream that agitated the king. We'll go to 8, and then we'll stop wherever we are. This is the dream. Now we will tell the interpretation before the king. You, O king, are the king of kings. For the God of heaven has given you a kingdom, power, strength, and glory. And wherever the children of men dwell, or the beasts of the field, and the birds of the heaven, he has given them into your hand, and has made you ruler over them all. You are this head of gold. Daniel's interpretation made it clear that the image revealed the course of Gentile kingdoms, which in turn would rule over the land and the people of Israel. Um, Oh, come on, brain. Uh, Who was the swift one? Uh, the cheetah, um, Alexander. When he died young in his 30s, he gave these kingdoms to his four generals. And this is, is actually what has happened, and now this is being portrayed in the, in the head and, and the shoulders and the legs and the two legs of <clears throat> Rome and things, and, and then the revived Roman kingdom in the, his feet. <clears throat> but that, again, I said, is so fascinating. <clears throat> We'll touch on that, as I said, shortly. Nebuchadnezzar, head of the Babylonian Empire, was represented by the head of gold. His father had come to power in Babylon by military conquest, but Nebuchadnezzar received his dominion and power and might and glory from God, who sets up kings and opposes them, as Daniel alluded to. Nebuchadnezzar's rule was viewed as as a worldwide empire in which he ruled over all mankind as well over beasts and birds. At the time of creation, the right to rule over the earth was given man who was to have dominion over it and all the creatures. That's in Genesis in chapter 1. Here Nebuchadnezzar, by divine appointment, was helping fulfill what God had planned for man. Verse 39. But after you shall arise another kingdom inferior to yours, then another, a third kingdom of bronze, which shall rule over all the earth. The second portion of the statue, the chest and arms of silver, represented the rise of the Medes and Persians. The Medes and Persians. You know what, where Persia is right now? The name of the country? Iran. 
The Medo-Persians conquered the Babylonians in 539 B.C. The arms of silver evidently represented the two nations of Media and Persia that together defeated Babylon. Though the kingdom lasted over 200 years, 539 to 330 B.C., longer than the Neo-Babylonian Empire of 87 years, the Medo-Persian Empire was inferior, inferior to it as silver compared with gold. So now that makes more sense. <clears throat> the belly and thighs of bronze represented the third kingdom that would arise. This was the Grecian Empire. Greece, Grecian Empire. Alexander the Great conquered the Medo-Persians between 334 and 330 and assumed authority over its people and territories. By Alexander's conquest, he extended the Greek Empire as far as the northwestern portion of India, an extensive empire that seemingly was over the whole earth at that time, although that wasn't the whole earth. There's a lot going on. Let's break it right there, okay? Or do you want to do 40? That'll be an even number, so we'll do 40. And the fourth kingdom shall be as strong as iron, inasmuch as iron breaks in pieces and shatters everything. And like iron that crushes, that kingdom will break in pieces and crush all the others. <coughs> the legs of iron represent the Roman Empire. Boy, and the parallels will blow your mind. Uh, this fourth kingdom conquered the Greek Empire in 63 B.C., before Christ. Though the Roman Empire was divided into two legs, the man's legs, and culminated in a mixture of iron and clay, it was one empire. This empire was characterized by a strength as iron is stronger than bronze, silver, and gold. The Roman Empire was stronger than any of the previous empires. It crushed all the empires that had preceded it. Rome and its cruel conquest swallowed up the lands and peoples that had been part of the three previous empires and assimilated those lands and peoples into itself. So let's end there, and we'll pick up here next uh, Wednesday. Okay? And what are we going to do? All right. Good enough. Because, you know, we can only learn so much. Our brains will only take so much in, and I don't know what percentage you'll retain, but... But it's good to go over this and go over it over, over the years, you know, to remember it and then study it Friday nights and things like that. All right, let's pray and get Antonio up here and, the, and his full orchestra. <laughs> Father God, we praise you. We thank you. We love you. Uh, indeed, we do, Father. What a privilege to serve you. What a holy, wonderful God. And Father, you're in control of all things, even this madness that's going on now in this political year. Oh, just madness. But Father, we have to trust in you, no matter what. We have to wait on you, Lord, and, and you have an answer, and you will provide for us, and you will care for your, your saints. We know that. We know we won't go without food or, or water or clothing, and if necessary, our clothes won't wear out, our shoes won't wear out. But, Father, we just want to thank you for the, the light you're shedding on the Scripture because Daniel is so relevant to the end times. And, and you cannot study the book of Revelation without knowing Daniel. 
Uh, and, and Father, that's why it's so fun to go over it again and again and again. So, Father, we just turn this night over to you and give you the praise, the thanks, the glory, and the honor. In Jesus' name, amen.